welcome to According to Callus. <clears throat> this is episode 136. What that means is I'm <laughs> soon to cross over into nine months of doing this. And I got to say, it's been a pleasure, it's been a challenge, and it's been an encouragement. And I've enjoyed doing this as much as possible. So as we jump off, let me just say and reiterate the call. For those of you that are interested, I could really appreciate you share and like the program. I could appreciate giving the thumbs up, the bump, uh, the comments. Any kind of interaction helps. Trying to build the program, trying to get a platform, trying to get the word out. Trying to create something for McKinney, for Collin County. The idea being that we have to do what we need to do to help and lead in Texas. In episode 135 on Friday, I, I referenced the idea of Texas leads. And I kind of threw that in off the cuff. But the more I thought about it over the weekend, the more I think that that's really the way we need to look at everything. Texas should be leading. There is no excuse for so many things that we are the, uh, oh, we'll, we'll go along with that. Or, yeah, us too. That's just, that's sad. We are supposed to be the liberty leaders. I mean, we're the state that every branch is run by Republicans. Everybody claims to be a conservative. Heck, even Ron Paul calls Texas his home state. And yet, we seem to always be lagging behind. And I don't know why that is. When I moved to Texas, there was a certain swagger, a certain idea that they were Texans first and oh yeah, I guess the rest of these states belong to us as well. And I just, I can't help but wonder if the more the mass migration of the other states and to other countries continues in Texas, if we're not going to just lose our swagger. I, I've said it many, many times. I came to Texas to become a Texan. And one of the things that being a Texan is, is embracing Texas, embracing the Texan feel. And I just don't see it in a lot of the, let's call them newcomers. They want to bring all their baggage. They want to bring all their stuff from where they came from. And it really doesn't do anybody any good. It's not helpful. It, it, it's quite disappointing, actually. If your state or country was so great, why are you here? Now, I know, I know there's a good number of people that come to Texas, much like me. They want a better life. They want something more for their family. And I appreciate that. I encourage it. And I think it's a good thing. But when you come here, the idea is you become a Texan. We used to call it the melting pot. We used to apply to the whole country. But apparently the Yankees aren't interested in creating more Americans. They're more interested in just finding people that will follow the rules and do what they're told and not question anything. But that's not what Texas was. That's not what Texas is. Texas can lead. Which is why I find 
myself drawn to do this podcast, which is why I find myself four times a week sitting down in front of a microphone in the quiet of my office, well, mostly quiet, and trying to put down ideas to a digital record to be shared to others. My goal is to put it out there. My goal is to just share what I'm thinking. Because if I'm thinking it, how many other people must be thinking it? I am not that unique. I am not that far ahead of the curve. And I would like to believe I'm not behind the curve. Or under the curve, if you will. We have an opportunity. We have a great mission about What is Texas and what can we do to lead from Texas? And liberty matters. And in matters of liberty, there are a few people that are situated to articulate the message of liberty. And honestly, I look to echo each and every one of them. But those folks, they're not in Collin County, Texas. I've mentioned the great Ron Paul. He's down, you know, by Houston, Sugarland, I believe. And as great as he is, he won't be with us forever. But his legacy needs to carry on. And you have Chris Ann Hall. She's out in Florida. Now, she travels all over the country. But she can only do so much and be so many places. You have Michael Bolden out of the Tenth Amendment Center. He's out in California. And you want to talk about fighting the good fight in you know, thinking outside the box and challenging things. That's what he's doing. You want to talk about Tom Woods. Tom Woods has been in like three different states since I've been listening to him. And now he finally rested in Florida. Now, how it is that the two great warriors of liberty ended up in a single state? I will never know because one was, I guess, there by design. The other one by happenstance. They just wanted to, he just wanted to get a better place to be for his family. And how fantastic is that? And then, you know, there's Brian McClanahan. And honestly, (laughs) I wish I could remember what state he ended up in. But that guy fights the uh, good fight. You know, he's a member of the Abigail Institute. And if you don't know what that is, you need to look it up. And he is teaching the history that's just not taught. And then for, for giggles, I should point out that Michael Malice, um, (laughs) if there was ever a name to mess with people, that would be it. He left New York to come to Austin. Now, hopefully his uh, anachronistic and his uh, pro-liberty attitude and swagger will benefit us with offsetting the socialist, communist worldview that so permeates down in Austin. But look... These guys can only be in so many places. They can only do so much. I mean, and then we even have a guy by the name of Daniel Miller who goes all over the great state of Texas reminding Texas that we can and should be a republic again. This is important stuff. These are the discussions that are going on. And here in sleepy little McKinney, we got 200,000 people in we have issues. We're worried about a concrete plant that the city council wants to shove into uh, the back door of the Herd Nature Center. We have all sorts of development going up that isn't even desirable. But because there are people in place that want to do it, they just disregard what you think. 
And quite frankly, I find that disgusting. But people don't have the platform. They're not able to talk about it. They're not able to gain traction for their thoughts, for their actions. And and I would love nothing more than to get that information sent to me. And I will share it. And I will put it out there. I don't want anything from those people. I just want to help. I want to amplify their voice. I want to assist their action. I want for we the people to have a bigger voice. For we the liberty lovers, whether it's McKinney or Collin County or even Texas as a whole, I want us to be heard. I want us to be leading. I want us to be determining what the next things are and not just settling for the latest crumbs to come out of Austin. And that's bringing us directly to the subject of tonight. This is Magdeburg Monday. And yes, I missed last Monday and I'm sorry, but there were just some things that I had to get off my chest. There was some things that were going on in the McKinney area that had to be put out there. But as we pick it up, and you know, episode 136, this would be what is supposed to be number four of the five Magdeburg Mondays. So let's jump right in. I am approximately halfway through the book on chapter six. Its subtitle is Of the Church, Its Ministers, and the Power of the Church and Its Ministers. And I've been told that my reading segments go way too fast. And it's not mm, conducive to understanding what I'm trying to put across. So rather than read sections, I'm going to summarize a couple of key points uh, per page. So, and and because it's being taken out of context, it's a challenge. So I, w- I want to be able to articulate the main point or the reason that the guy's uh, in Magdeburg are writing this down, right? They're trying to set the case for why they're going to do what they're going to do. So all these precursor statements and um, can the part of the confession have to be laid out so that when they make the declaration at the end, it makes sense and it has proper justification. So it's talking about, you know, the fall and We've got the human race being drawn back to God. And he um, is at the point where he's defending against the power of the devil. Okay. So the thought is, is that for a time being, the devil, Satan, this is his earth. He's running it. Which is not to say he has total control, but it's to say that he has a control over it. And the word, the spirit interferes and blocks from his actions, protects those, if you will. And it talks about his will and decision of the persons can do that. And they talk about the sacraments and how the sacraments uh, help bring about the true knowledge that's given through the Holy Spirit. And that the promise that was brought about through Christ. 
And he forgives the sins and he declares us to be righteous and heirs of the eternal life. So, again, they're, they're bringing everybody together. They're put, showing how everybody's essentially in this same place. And then it talks about people that are put in authority. And the reference is from time to time, those who hold the tiller, which is just a symbol of power, if you will, are they themselves enemies of the true church. And true members of this true church, however, would have the word and sacraments in common with the rest of the multitude. Okay, so now we're, we're talking about the, the church, somebody in leadership of the church becomes a problem. And how do they deal with that? So they talk about the keys of the kingdom of heaven that Christ gave them over. And he didn't give them to Peter only, or even just the rest of the apostles, or to just their successors but to the whole visible church. So again, they're making a distinction that the hierarchy of the Catholic church is not the only body that has access or has administration of these keys, if you will. And I think the keys are more of a figurative statement here, just so we're clear. And they're saying that you don't need them. You have direct access. That's that's my translation. I'm compressing what's in about three pages into a couple of sentences here. So we go on. Each one of these administrators, those parts of this power in places, which the church or those whom the church is authorized and entrust these powers. Ah, see, now we're talking about they're put in a position. They oversee things. Uh, they reference the bishop or a superintendent or different offices, elders, pastors, counselors, deacons, that kind of thing. But for one man in, in to be brought up to become the universal bishop. So now we're talking about the Pope here. They're saying that that action or that centralization of power is contrary to the word. And in fact, they find it to be destructive of the church. And again, these are Lutherans. And they're making the argument that this is the problem, centralized power. Okay? So... Goes in, going to talk about the Donatists and the Anabaptists and um, some different errors. They're, uh, they bring it basically back all the way to the idea that just one person having all this power and all this authority is not appropriate. Certainly not for one person on earth. I guess that'd be the best way to put it. Okay. So we're going to jump forward a little more here. And... Then they spend some time talking about the idea of a vicar of Christ. And they dismiss that. They don't find that to be uh, real or right. And uh, they also talked about the Deaforests. And uh, <laughs> they're not kind to them as well. Uh, but basically, again, they're just they're laying down the groundwork here. Uh, we're now going into chapter seven of politics and economy in the power of each. Okay. So just as the church is an ordinance of God in which God wants there to be orders of teachers and learners also in politics and the economy. Okay. So they're, they're given the idea that one follows the other. And then he says that through his ordinance and powers with fear of wrath and punishment, they hold these respective powers. Okay, and he's distinguished that there are one there are one power 
and that there's another power, right? Through his word. And talks, and then the chapter goes on about some different things. And the next chapter says, Therefore, polities and economies have been principally instituted and are preserved and defended by God for the sake of the church. Let those adults who are not con- continent to be joined together in marriage according to the word and commandment of God. Let them become fathers and mothers of families. Let them procreate. Let them bring up children and the rest of their families. So basically he's saying is if you're not not willing to be single, you should do this, right? Create a family, build it up. And again, this is a way of building the church and a way of honoring God. Then they talk about the idea of a magistrate, right? And they are going to basically um, defend the pious, or I'm sorry, a magistrate comes about because they're supposed to defend pious and honest citizens or subjects, and especially the church, against injuries by the wicked, which he ought to, which he ought to prevent by bodily force and the sword. So, Again, they're saying that the magistrate, which is a civil office apart from the church, exists to protect families and the church from evildoers, right? And that that is the function to protect and defend. So in these matters, justice subjects necessarily owe obedience to their magistrates and children to the rest of their family, to the parents and the masters on account of God. When the magistrates and parents themselves lead their charges away from piety and uprightness, obedience is not owed to them from the word of God. Okay, so again, now we're going into if your magistrate or if your parents even lead you astray, they're telling you to do something that you know is wrong, you don't need to obey. This is brought about in the UCMJ. This is brought about in the oath of, you know, military people, right? You're not supposed to obey unlawful orders. You're supposed to protect and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. So again, this is this is the pre-existing thought process before that oath ever comes into place. So, and the because of your conscience... And because of an ordinance of God, you know what's right. And you know how to properly honor the magistrate and your own parents. And because these are ordinance of God, in other words, he's laid out the um, political and economic lives. You can do them in a good way and you can do them honorably and lawfully. And as an aside, those that critique... um, capitalism and a lot quite frankly a lot of the people that critique capitalism have an axe to grind and they have um a direction or an agenda they're trying to put forward but some of their critique is accurate and some of their critique is fair and we have to be open-minded enough to listen to them and deal with the issues that they're pointing out it's the issue of the solution that is the problem it's not the critique it's not the finding the 
things that we're doing wrong, it's their solution, which is almost always found lacking. So, to be fair, back to the text. <clears throat> and then they they go into this and they just talk about the economic and political works need to be in agreement with laws and reason and not contrary to the word of God. And they have to be pleasing to God in believers and become the worship of God. Okay, now again, I realize if you're not Lutheran, a lot of this is kind of something you're not comfortable with or maybe you don't understand it. And if you're Catholic at this point, you might be a little upset, but bear with me. If you can just check out the fact that the Lutherans are basically fighting against the Catholic Church, and this is written as a rebuttal to the Catholic Church, the Catholic Church can also benefit from this long term. Okay, so that's why I've kind of glossed over some of the stuff in here. I'm not looking to create a modern day battle between Lutherans and Catholics. I mean, I'm not even a Lutheran. I'm Protestant, but um, that's another story. Um, not defending Lutheranism, not defending Catholicism, just saying that this is the argument, right? And this is the underlying argument and all the groundwork that comes up with the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. And the reason why this is important is because there's a modern application. But if you don't understand how it came about, it doesn't ring true. It doesn't hold the same force. When you ignore 500 years of history, it's real easy to trick people into thinking that things were always this way. It's able to, it's easy to create a year one or a year zero every time you turn around. You have to have an understanding of what's come before you. And not all of it's good. Some of it's messy and we get that. But this here, this is the undergirding work that brings us forward 250 years later to a seminal work that we all benefit from. And it's really not 250 years, but a little less. In either case, um, so again, we're going to talk about errors of the papists. <laughs> and, um, okay, here we go. So this is the last chapter, or I mean the last paragraph of the chapter. Just as many consciences of good men are disturbed by this weakening and distorting of the political and economic offices under the Catholic Church, um, and they are lightly esteemed by these ordinances of God, and the majesty of political governors has been treated with contempt, so now, with the dignity of a civil and economic power, has been restored through the gospel. So, okay, again, they're trying to teach and underlie the idea that there's separate spheres of authority here. And this is something that Calvin will build on much more so later on, but we're not going to, we're going to, we're going to try and not go there, especially for tonight. So again, that, that gives us to the end. All right. So now you have us, this is an epilogue, if you will, of the confession of the doctrine. And, uh, it says, Christian reader, you now have a summary of the doctrine which is founded on the prophetic and apostolic scriptures in which these recent days has again unfolded out of the great shadows of the reign of the Antichrist by the man of God, Luther, of sacred memory, doctrine which was expressed in the articles of the Augsburg Confession and still sounds by the singular kindness of God uncorrupted and pure in our churches. Okay, so 
basically they're saying that the true Lutherans, right, the ones that haven't compromised, that haven't swayed back into the Catholic Church, they're saying that they have the true faith, right? Okay. They're trying to draw a distinction. They're trying to show why they're going this direction. So, again, my Catholic friends, just understand this is the historical context. All right. So, we're going to skip forward a couple pages because they're just going to talk about how great Luther is and how bad some of the other stuff that has happened is. And now we're going to the second part of this book. This is going to be concerning resistance. Now, for those of you who may have a Kindle version of this, this is approximately 55% of the way through the digital format of the book. So those of you that are listening are probably now wondering, well, how are you going to finish this in one more episode, Kels? Well, that is a good question. However, I can assure you the book has a lot of footnotes. So I don't think we're that far from the end. So here we go. We're going to fast forward, if you will, through their mm, dismissal of the intermittents, the Ideaforists, and the Papists. And we're going to get to where the meat of it is. But here we go. I think this is uh, third or fourth chapter in, depending on how you want to break this. Okay. But if any princes and states have cast off along with the cause, the very right of the cause as well, anyone can will easily understand that this prejudice neither ought nor can stand against any others, especially in a matter pertaining to the glory of God and the internal salvation of all men, but that a few despised men should rightly demand their right, even if the powerful and the Epicureans should laugh at them. Now, if I remember correctly, at the end, it describes the idea that the Epicureans are largely thought of as Greek philosopher types that were non-believers. So it was like a... um, blanket statement like um the bible references the jew and the greek the greek is just basically anybody that's not jewish or not hebrew would be probably the more appropriate way to look at that so but our enemies are not themselves able to recognize the foul repulsiveness and the towering injustice of their own actions i mean we got some flowery harsh language here it's pretty awesome and then of course they talk about how our enemies have loaded these regions and state down with the greatest injustice and cruelty, surpassing even that of the pagans. Again, saying that these are supposed to be our fellow Christians. They are Catholic and they are repressing us and interfering with us more so than even the pagans did. So the non-believers had less issue with the Lutherans than apparently the Catholics did. Again, we're, we're dealing with the context of what's going on. So, they talk about some of the things that they call false doctrines, the idol manias, blasphemies. And they're prohibiting these things in their necessary steps to de- in defense of their people. Okay? And we're going to go forward a little further here. And we're going to say, It is now all the more needful that we should prove by our defense whether a Christian magistrate can or ought to preserve his state and the Christian teachers and hearers in it against his own superior magistrate and drive off 
by force, one who is using force to compel people to reject the true doctrine and true worship of God and accept idolatry. Okay, so this this is everything before this is driving to that statement. And I'm glad I ran across it. Again, the idea of the lesser magistrate doctrine turns on the very concept that government shouldn't be telling you how to worship. And the church, in this time the Catholic church, shouldn't be utilizing the force of government to make you worship in a specific way. Now just think on that for a minute. Realize what a watershed thing this is. Now they say that this was a common thought process, you know, a thousand years earlier. So this is kind of a rebirth in 1550. Then they reference the idea of the intermendists and the idea of forests. <sighs> they talk about the idea that we don't really need to separate them. And that there's a acknowledgement of the word of God and by natural knowledge of his divinity, divinity impressed on the human mind has been clearly explained a little earlier. And unless by chance the king's will and weapons will somehow have changed the divine and natural right in the demonstrations uh, in the rules of consequence and even entire laws of logic used in the assertion of this legitimate defense. Just as we were able to do here to here to who ah, basically since we've been able to do up to this point I don't know why that word's escaping me at the moment. In many articles of Christian doctrine. Okay. By the same sort of reasoning, twice four shall cease to be eight. So basically they're saying they're going to reject logic, right? Magistrates and subjects shall be bound by sure chains and mutual oaths. But it shall be permitted to magistrates when they want to be loosed and free from all obligation while the subject shall always be bound in all circumstances and never be freed. It shall be permitted to magistrates to exercise the utmost tyranny contrary to the laws and their oaths, but it shall not be permitted to the subjects to restrain the ravings of tyrants in accordance to the laws. Thus, the truth of our common sense and the logic of the consequences will always depend on the whims and weapons of those who have power. Interesting. We hear echoes of this even to this day. But their solution is that somebody else should be defending them. Somebody else should have their back. Whereas in modern day, they just want to destroy it all. They want to take it all. They want to end it all. And I don't know that that's what we want. So here we'll go a little further here. <sighs> Among our enemies... We have proved in vain that defense against a superior magistrate who persecutes the true religion by arms is granted to an inferior magistrate when they deny that this religion of ours is the true one and deem that their war is therefore just. Though they are not even right about that, as had been said above. So again, they're saying that religion is the concern here, right? They, they're the true believers, and they're saying that these people won't let us do our own thing. They won't let us worship in the way we see fit. And our magistrate should be able to defend us. 
we're still loyal, but to this magistrate, not the higher magistrate. Okay? Because this is all about loyalty. And so in mustering of this defense, we are especially motivated by the consciences of those who retain purity of doctrine and those who do not want to be overwhelmed and themselves to be persecuted. So both sorts may know that they ought to do about their defense and what a comfort they have in it. So again, they're saying, we want to follow a good leader. We want our leader to protect us. We don't want to have to do this on our own. We don't want to have to reject appropriate authority. But when it's inappropriate authority, when they're being tyrannical, we need the right to defend. And the proper way for us to do this is with our own lower magistrate. Again, they're trying to follow the chain of command, if you will. Now, for those of you who are in corporate world, you're supposed to go to your manager, perhaps your director. You don't go directly to the CEO. For those of you in the military, you you go to um, your sergeant or your chief first, and then maybe uh, the division officer. And if you can't get, you go to the department and, you know, up the chain of command. You don't go right to the CEO or even right to the XO. That's just not good practice. They're basically saying is, hey, we're trying to stay within our chain of command. We're expecting that the guy up the chain is going to have our back and is going to protect us when this guy's going off kilter. The modern application for those of you who is who are familiar with the uh, Kane Mutiny or perhaps uh, Mr. Roberts, right? Somebody makes a determination the captain's gone mad. Well, there's a proper way to handle that. Mutinies don't turn out well for anybody. But if you don't do it properly, you all get the hang. It's never a good thing. But if you can follow the process, if you can follow the chain of command, you might come out of it in one piece. Again, you're dealing with a tyrant who is overstepping and abusing his power. And the only way to refute that is with somebody in between you, which is where the final episode of this was going to center around. We're going to reference back to what we've gone over in these previous episodes. And we're going to bring it to the here and now and why this is important and how it's directly applicable. So here we go. And if stricken in your conscience, conscience, (laughs) you are not yet able to consider us as disciples of Christ. And we beseech you to think of your piety, that Christ, when he was handed over to be crucified by the chief priests by his people, was not considered a son of God, but as a blasphemer and a seditious man. So his people sold him out. We're asking you not to sell us out. And that's how they considered the apostles and the other martyrs. They were murdered by the usual authorities who said that they were wrong, that they were blasphemers. Again, and we're going to, again, go past the idea of the true church and papal stuff. And I guess we're going to go through a couple more... uh, paragraphs here i apologize i'm just trying to be respectful of your time i fully realize i'm over 30 minutes here i'm just quickly trying to wrap this up 
And let us say that it's this part of another, uh, towards the end of the chapter here, we're getting to a paragraph. Although we are not able to look into the hearts of individuals, still let us plainly affirm this is about the city's general attitude and will, that except for the preservation of our religion, nothing else is sought. And when this is gained, our Senate and citizens will be most obedient in all their proper duties according to your majesty's laws. And if the public's attitude and will did not seem altogether this way to us, rest assured we would either force the whole church to desist from what it has begun by excommunication according to the command of Christ, or else we would shake the dust off our feet and leave the city. So basically what they're saying is, we just want this one thing. We want to be able to worship in the way we see fit. And if you'll honor this, we will be good citizens. And this went back even to the time of Caesar, because this is directly what they're referencing. So, again, they're just saying, respect our rights, respect our freedom, respect our method of worship, and we'll be good citizens. We will do what you want us to do, but this one thing, we have to have this one thing. I'm going to go forward a little bit further here. If we cannot obtain this from you, as so far as we've been not able to obtain it, nor could others appointed by suppliants on our behalf, then you may be sure that you will hear a bad testimony from us before Christ the judge on the day of judgment. And our groans and those of our other pious men will go up against you now in the sight of God. And they will hasten your punishments. And you will also force peaceful and righteous men to take up a necessary defense against your implacable and unjust savagery so they're saying we're going to stand up against you now and we're going to go to our father your father in heaven and basically tell him what a bad guy you are and what you've been doing so even if you don't pay for it here while you're here you're going to have to answer for it later i mean that's pretty bold basically tell the king uh maybe god put you in place but you're going to have to answer to him sooner enough it's pretty pretty bold and they talk about the cautious and hesitant and careful in setting forth this opinion because we don't want to overstep our bounds, right? All right, so let's see here. Again, some more things where they're dealing with um, differences between the different groups. And I'm going to go to the... I guess one of the closing chapters here, or I'm sorry, the closing paragraph in this chapter. Therefore, we again affirm from the sure word of God that when a superior magistrates attempt to force idolatry upon their citizens to overwhelm the true worship of God and his true worshipers, just as they have begun to do by unjust maneuvers with their laws, even if they pretend otherwise, then pious magistrates are not only able, but have an obligation to resist them as far as they are able to defend the true doctrine and worship of God, life, modesty, and the property of their subjects, and preserve them against such a great tyranny. And they're going to then go and give three of the clearest, firmest foundations on this opinion 
and then they're not going to do anything more. So I am going to save that for the next episode of Magdeburg Monday. It's later than I anticipated, but I have to tell you that this book was well worth it. And I strongly recommend that you take the time and invest it. We're going to touch on the three arguments, if you will, um, that they're going to lay out here. And that's going to be the entirety of the next episode. Please join me. And like I said, we're only going to go forward. We're only going to do more. And we're going to have to learn to defend ourselves and defend ourselves in a proper way with the proper people. And, you know, again, if you want to reject Christianity, if you want to even say that there's no God, that's okay. But defending our liberty defends yours. Defending our principles helps you. I want you all to realize that. The whole idea of tolerance is an outgrowth of Christian faith. It's not always exercised well, and there are people that abuse it. In fact, this book actually deals with one section abusing it against another section. And then a little bit later on in history, you'll see it reverse, and it goes back and forth. But we have learned our lesson, and we don't wish to relive it. So don't be disturbed. Don't be dismayed. We know where this is going. And we know how it ends. Until tomorrow, I will see you on the other side. And this is According to Callus. Good night.